You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one uh, in the rack in front of you. And in Matthew chapter 5, we find the um, teaching of Jesus, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I've desired to teach uh, these chapters for a long time, and we finally come to the place now where we have an opportunity for this. And so starting today and probably right through until Easter uh, next year, taking out for Easter and uh, Christmas, we're going to be looking at these chapters. There are some pretty amazing teaching from Jesus. You know, when you, when you think about it as a sermon, if, um, if I was to preach this in a homiletics class in Bible college, I'd probably get in trouble. Because um, when we talk about it in a sermon, we talk about taking one nail and kind of pounding that one nail, the one main focus. And, and that's not what Jesus does here. Jesus is laying out some foundational teaching of things that he wants people to understand. And it's not so much a sermon. If you see that in the Bible, that part wasn't in, actually in the Bible. It's been put in there so that it breaks it up for us so we understand where things start and stop. But we, we have this teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's amazing. It's um, pr- pretty much the most extensive teaching Jesus does in any one place. Um, we take a lot out of the uh, prayers that Jesus did towards the end of his life, but those were actually prayers. Here he sits down and he teaches them, and this teaching is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The reality is what he is about to say to his follow- followers is going to turn everything they believe on its head, everything. It's, it's all counterculture. And, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we're counterculture. We're not angry at the culture. We're not mad at people. But the reality is what God calls us to is to be different. And Jesus is going to lay the foundation of that uh, right here as he teaches what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the series. We're calling it Real Talk. Jesus, just go, here's the thing you need to know. Here's the next thing you need to know. Here's, it's just, he's just being real with them and telling them the things that they needed to be aware of. And so this week's message is a call to Christ-like character. We find it in Matthew 5, uh, 1 to 12. Let's honor God by standing as we read his word. And uh, I'll follow along as I read. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that we hold in our hand. And the Lord, this teaching that Jesus begins here, as we'll look at it today and in the next week, Lord, is amazing for us to learn, to us to follow after what Christ taught. And Lord, so what I have to say is not all that significant today unless it comes from your word. But what Jesus Christ says is transformative. And so God, would you give us ears to hear 
Would you give us minds to be able to understand? And then, God, would you give us a heart that passionately lives out the things we're called to as followers of Christ? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, diving right into the text, it says, seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And, uh, and so Jesus has been out in his public ministry, and there are a lot of crowds that have been following him, and he goes up on the mountain, and um, it says that his disciples followed him. He says he sat down, and when they joined around him, he, he began to teach them. And that was not uncommon for them. That was the way a, a rabbi would, would teach his disciples. They would, they would sit down and, and they would dialogue back and forth. And um, that was the way the teaching was done back then. And uh, nothing wrong with that form of teaching. It's not what we would call a sermon in that sense. And I'm not sure I can sit long enough to do that for you. And so I find myself getting anxious and wanting to get up. But the text says that he sat down and his disciples came to him. And so who was there on that day? There were lots of people who were following. There were lots of people who were interested in this guy, Jesus. Uh, but who was there? Well, it says his disciples. Um, well, who were his disciples? I think sometimes we think, well, that's the 12. No, those are the apostles. Um, the disciples, where the word disciple means learner. And there were lots of people who followed Jesus who wanted to learn what he was saying. And, and that's what we should be. We ought to be lifelong learners about the things of Jesus Christ. Everyone who was there that day didn't put their faith and trust in Christ. Judas was there that day, and he heard all of this teaching, and he chose to reject it. And there would have been other people like that. There would have been people there who would have had great faith. So it doesn't say. It doesn't say if there were 12 or 14 or 20 or 200. It, it doesn't say. But people who were disciples, people who were learning about Jesus, they followed him. He sits down and he teaches them. And it says that uh, he opened his mouth and he taught them. Um, it's not lost on me that um, the words opened his mouth meant that there was going to be verbal communication. It's also not lost on me how much we learn that's non-verbal, verbal, right? How much, how much of your kids, if you're a parent, how much of your kids learned just by watching you, right? Um, if you're a teacher, if you're a, uh, people watch us all the time. Uh, people watch the elders in our church. They watch to see the way we act and react to things. And, and so there would have been much they learned as they followed Jesus and watched him. But, but now it's time for some teaching to happen because he opens his mouth and he begins to teach them saying, we're going to come to that in a second, um, this was a message that was the core of what Jesus would teach. I'm sure parts of it they heard over and over again, and he wanted to make sure that they got this part, that they got it right. The reality is all of the character traits and marks that we're going to see today are the goals for us as followers of Jesus Christ. He's saying this is what you should be. This is what should mark your life. This is how you should look. But we need to know every one of them in some way goes counter the culture of the day and goes counter our culture today. And that's what we're called to be as followers of Christ. We're called to be different. And uh, Jesus lays that out for them here. He starts out in the first uh, word of verse 3 is blessed. And we're going to see that like nine times. Whenever you see a word repeat itself in Scripture, you need to take note of it. There's a reason it's there. Uh, this word blessed literally means happy. Happy. Uh, happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are really pastor. Okay, the, the, it means to be satisfied. 
It means to be fulfilled. It means to have your joy. The same word is used in a description about God in 1 Timothy 1.11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so that, that word blessed there is the same word. And so it's a word that's used to describe the character of God. And, and we're to have this sense of joy, this sense of satisfaction, this sense of fulfillment as followers of of Jesus Christ. So let's dive in and just uh, see what the things were he said to them as he sat and he taught them. Here's the first counterculture thing he said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, poor in spirit were those who recognize the natural unworthiness of us to stand before God, to stand in his presence, that we are totally dependent, utterly dependent on him for his mercy and his grace. In Psalm 40, 17, it says, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. A poor in spirit, they recognize, the person recognized their unworthiness to stand before God. That's who we are. And sin separated us from God. We can't fix that problem. People try. I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to do the best I can. And one day I'm going to stand before God. And he's going to say, why should I let you into heaven? And you're going to say, well, I, I tried. I tried to be a good person. I tried to do right things. And Lord said, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. Because, I'm, because the standard of God is, is righteousness. The standard of God is sinlessness. And you're like, Pastor, we know you. We know you're not sinless. No, I, I'm not. I'm not. But because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, my sin has been taken as far as the east is from the west. God justified me. He makes me, as he looks at me, through the work of Jesus Christ, just like I never sinned. And so we're to be people who are poor in spirit. It's the person who recognizes how unworthy they are. In, in the Greek, there were two words, or well, it was more than two, but two words that describe poor people. There were people who were working poor, and then there were those who were truly poor. The working poor person, they didn't have very much, but they were getting by and all the rest of it. The next word is those who are truly poor. And those are the people that are begging. They don't have anything. That's the word that describes what we're going for. You're like, Pastor, that's what we're going for? Yeah, we're, we're to be people of God who understand our brokenness and how, how pathetic our stand before God is. And we come as people who are poor in spirit. This is the first beatitude because it's where we start with God. We start with God with a right understanding of who we are how unworthy we are, how poor we are. We are beggars who need a Savior. And the Bible says, when you get there, when you get there, then you truly can be happy. But until you get there, you will never be happy because you'll always think you're going to do your part. You'll always think you're going to add on your peace and until you come to the place of absolute brokenness. You can't understand what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that's where the gospel becomes so real for us. Uh, this one, this man, Jesus, who is sitting there teaching them, less than three years later will hang on a cross 
We've been singing songs about his blood and, and how Jesus Christ shed his blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin and how Jesus Christ would live the life that we couldn't live. He would die to pay a price that we couldn't pay. He would rise from the dead. He would go and ascend to be with the Father and his work would be the salvation work that's offered to us. Those of us who are poor in spirit, we understand just how messed up we are, how hopeless we are and are now ready to cry out to God because when we accept the finished work of Jesus Christ, happy are you. The greatest fulfillment, the greatest joy, the greatest sense of satisfaction that ever comes in your life is the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, what God is preparing for us is for those who are poor in spirit, not the self-righteous person, not the person who thinks they can make it on their own, but the person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And that gift is offered to everyone who is sitting in the room today. Many have trusted Jesus Christ, some haven't. And that gift that God offers, he offers when we come to him in our brokenness. And we understand that we deserve nothing and we trust Jesus Christ, and you are saved, and yours is the kingdom of heaven. Poverty of spirit is an absolute prerequisite for receiving the kingdom of heaven. And as long as we harbor illusions about our own spiritual resources, we will never receive from God what we absolutely need to be saved. Jesus Christ did it all. All I can do is receive the gift and I am, I am saved. I read this quote this week about poor in spirit people. They cannot, be, um, they cannot be fulfilled by one's own strength, but only by a beggar's reliance on God's power. No one mourns until they are poor in spirit. No one is meek towards others until he has a humble view of himself. If you don't sense your own need and poverty, you will never hunger and thirst after righteousness. And if you have too high a view of yourself, you will find it difficult to be merciful to others. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on to the second one. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Again, a counterculture thing. You're like, well, lots of people mourn, pastor. This isn't talking about when somebody dies and you, you're sad and you mourn. It's true that we are satisfied most when our satisfaction is in the Lord, even when we're mourning, but that's not what Jesus was teaching here. Jesus was teaching about them and their own situation. And so he says, blessed are those who mourn because of their own spiritual bankruptcy. We understand how far we are from God, and it causes us to mourn. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, for godly grief or godly mourning produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so we come to the place of understanding that we are broken people and we mourn our sin and we mourn our sinfulness. Not only the, that part that brings us to salvation, but even as followers of Jesus Christ, not one of us in this room has ever become sinless. We're all people of God who are, who are um, tested and tried and tempted. Sometimes we sin, and do we mourn our sin? Do we grieve it? Satisfied are you when you come to the place of mourning over your sin? Why? Well, because they shall be comforted, the Bible says. 
See, that's not the way the world works. That's not the way the system works. It's not about seeing how empty you are. It's seeing about who you are. It's not about seeing what you need. It's seeing about what you can get. That's, that's primarily the way the world works. And, and here we're called to be people of God who, who mourn our sin. It says, because they will be comforted. God will comfort those who truly grieve after their own sin. And this is not the, the um, end. This is a path for us. God allows the grief into our lives as a path so that we will desire to be more like Jesus Christ every day. That's what we're to go after. And we'll find our satisfaction in life in the things that God provides for us and not in the things that the world goes after that never bring satisfaction. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Here's the next one. Blessed are the meek. Again, a counterculture word for sure. The word meekness means power under control. Quality looks at a person's dealing with other people. And when you're in a place of control and power and, and something comes up against you, do you demonstrate a meekness, a gentleness, a quietness, a humility towards other people? Uh, maybe you can think of a situation this week where uh, something came up, a, a gentleman came up after the service last week and he said, Pastor, thank you for that. I was working through something and, and my righteousness and my sense of anger and indignation, I had a self-righteous spirit and, and I didn't respond with meekness as I should. And maybe you can look back this week and you can see where there was a situation that you were involved in, and if and someone would say, well, what was your response? Meekness would not even be in the top 10. Satisfied are you, the Bible says, when you are meek. The first two things we looked at, those who are, have a poverty of spirit or poor in spirit, and those who mourn are, are more internal. Now, now Jesus starts to teach a thing that's more external. It's what, what's coming out of us. And you will find true satisfaction when you become a meek person. It also shows a willingness to disregard our own rights and our privileges. We, again, we live in a world where I have my rights. I deserve all of these things. And, and Jesus says, hey, followers, be meek. Have power under control. You don't have to have everything your way. Everything belongs to the Lord. Let him sort it out. You be right before you before him. It's one thing for me to admit my own spiritual bankruptcy. We can do that on our own. But, but what if someone else does it for me? They come and they're in your face. Satisfied are you. Truly satisfied are you when you are meek. Well, why? Well, they shall inherit the earth, the Bible says. They shall inherit the earth. Now God promises that we don't come up on the short end of the stick. He will take care of us. He will meet our need. And it may not be in the way the world describes it, but that's not what we're going after. We're not going after what the world describes. We're going after what God has for us. And blessed are the meek. And you can take this to the bank because God will take care of you. He will care for you. Jesus goes on as he's sitting there and he goes to this next one and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the qualities that Jesus is expressing, for the way he lived, for the humility he had. 
Again, a counterculture thing for sure. People don't hunger and thirst after righteousness. People hunger and thirst after their rights. Uh, people hunger and thirst after power and authority and success and comfort and happiness. Those are the things that the world goes after. And hey, before we're too hard on the world, those are the things that in our heart often we are going after. I'm going after my rights. I'm going after power. I'm going after authority. I'm, I'm on the success train and I want to make sure I can get everything I can. And I want comfort and I want to be happy, 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 happy. That's what I want. And Jesus is um, rubbing up against that when he says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst to be righteous, to be righteous. Not just right, but right for the right reasons, right before God, right in a way that's pleasing to him. He uses the word hunger and thirst so that they would understand that you're going after this. Um, some of the things we understand about hunger or thirst, first of all, it's natural. Um, hungering and thirsting after righteousness is natural, just like hungering and thirsting after food. I get to five o'clock in the afternoon and I think I'm going to die. Sue, where's dinner? I've never been hungry a day of my, look at me. I've never been hunger, a, hungry a day of my life. But some people have, and they know what it means. So when you say hunger and thirst after righteousness, it's not that, that little pang in your tummy at five o'clock with where's dinner. It's I haven't had a meal for two days. And that's what I want. I want to eat. And, and, and this is what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, you need to hunger like that. You need to be going after God's righteousness like that. It's not some passive thing you do. It's natural. It's intense. Sometimes it's even painful. It's a driving force. You've seen the pictures when a catastrophe happens and the helicopter comes in and the food arrives and people are just running up and they're grabbing the food and they don't care about systems because there's a driving force. They think they're going to die. Jesus says, that's the way I want you to go after righteousness. I want you to drive for it. I want it to be the passion of your heart. I want you to look at the things I'm teaching and the ways you're going to learn and the life I'm going to live and hunger and thirsting after righteousness is a sign of health as well. I remember when I went to Haiti the very first time I went and someone, was, we had some kids from the orphanage that were there. It might have been Dave Locke who showed me this, but we were talking about this and he said, look into the kids' eyes and you can see how healthy they are by the, by the color around their eyes and, and all the rest of it. And I thought, wow. The way you hunger and thirst after righteousness is a sign of your health and when people look into your spiritual eyes, are they seeing health? Says you go after me like that. It's not what the world goes after. The world goes after what it wants. The world goes after the things that are important to them. But righteousness is not on that list. Happy are you. Satisfied are you. Truly satisfied when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Bible says because those people are going to be truly satisfied. The stuff I have is really not that important. But my relationship with God trumps everything. It is king. They will be satisfied. Jesus goes on to the next one. He said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. This beatitude addresses those who will show mercy. 
It speaks to those who have already received mercy. I have received mercy, therefore I need to show mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Uh, Sue and I were called to uh, be part of a team to go and help a church this week, and we left on Monday, came back on Wednesday, and in a sad, sad story of a, of a pastor and a failure and um, a friend of ours. Um, and we went, and we were with them, and we were with that church, and I got to tell you, as I was driving down there, I wasn't feeling a lot of mercy for that guy. Like, how could you do that? How could you end up like that? What were you thinking? And then I was very quickly reminded that I'm only three decisions from being exactly where that guy is. And the Bible says, satisfied are you when you are merciful. When you are merciful. And uh, Sue and I met with um, him and his wife, and it's amazing how your heart gets changed when the door opens and you're standing facing the individual. And they're desiring forgiveness and care. Satisfied are you when you're merciful. Because of all of God's mercy that he's pointed out and given to you. I, I've, been, I've been blessed with so much mercy from the Lord. How dare I not be a person who shows mercy to other people? And that's true for you. You might have the person in your life who hurt you or disappointed you or let you down. And you're on your spiritual high horse. And God is calling you to something different. He's calling you to be merciful. Just like in Christ, God poured his mercy out on you. We're called to pour mercy out on others. So who's that person in your life? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a brother. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's the person who's sitting right beside you today. Satisfied are the merciful. Satisfied are the merciful for those who are weaker or poor, those who weep or mourn, for those who need a restored relationship, those whose character has been compromised and they need help and we need to choose to help them, those who uh, we shouldn't, we don't even want to, but God calls us to, compassionate for those who have sinned, God, give me a merciful spirit. Blessed are those who give mercy. Why? Well, the text says it. For they will receive mercy. If you want mercy from others, especially God, then take care of being merciful to others. You want God's mercy to be poured on you. You want God's blessing to be poured on you. You want God's forgiveness to be poured out on you. Then be merciful to other people. You know, the story of David in the Old Testament, I think, is a good picture of this, where, where David is um, the one who needs the mercy of God after he sins with Bathsheba. Uriah is put to death. He does this great big cover-up. And what does God do? God shows him mercy. God shows him mercy. Why? Probably because David showed mercy to King Saul. He was faithful there when he could have been so brutal and and that he showed mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Next one is blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Um, this, phase, pure, this, this phrase, pure in heart, means a straightness or honesty or clarity. Um, 
Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the? I'll try that again. Okay, you ready? Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the? Thank you. That was better class. Um, the, the reality is we, we're pretty good at impressing on the outside. We're pretty good at that. You, you all look good when you come to church. You, you all are, you know, good for you. Look, man, the guy's, wow. But I don't know your heart. I don't know your heart. Not really. But God does. And he says, blessed are those who are pure in, in heart. As a man thinks, so is he the Bible says. So when no one's looking, when you're by yourself, what's going on in your heart? Blessed is those whose heart is right before God, satisfied, complete, in love with the Lord. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Why? Because it says what well, it, it says right there, for they shall see God they shall see God. You know, when my heart's not right, I don't see God like I should. When we were driving down, and the Lord's been working in our hearts, growing us, and you know, we're not perfect Christians by any stretch of the imagination. We're, we're growing, but we're driving along in upstate New York and seeing the beauty of God's creation and making comments about God's work is awesome. Look what the Lord has made. When I'm not pure in heart, I don't see that stuff. I don't see it like I should. When I'm not pure in heart, this book is a drudgery to me. And when I am pure in heart, this word is alive to me. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they'll see God. You'll see God in creation. You'll, you'll see God in his word. You'll see God in the working of Jesus Christ. You'll, you'll see God in the church. When my heart is right, this church is amazing. Look at what God is doing. Look how he's growing people. Look at the changes that are happening. Look at the blessings he's pouring out on us. And when my heart's not right, who are these idiots God's given me to work with? Can't any of them get it right? Are any of them actually trying to serve the Lord? Are any of them walking with Jesus Christ as they should? Blessed are the pure in heart. Because when you're pure in heart, you see the way God is working. There isn't one of us that hasn't struggled and doesn't wrestle. And that person who's fallen in sin, and when I'm in a pure in heart, is how can I help them? How can we restore them? How can I? And when I'm not pure in heart, it's like, what is wrong with you? What were you thinking? Blessed are the pure in heart. Because you see God, and you see what God does, and you see him, you see him working. The next one is, blessed are the peacemakers. Real quick, blessed are the peacemakers. Like, this is not specifically talking about the person who comes between two people who are having a fight. Okay? That's a peacemaker for sure, and that's good. We're not against that. We, two people are struggling with something, and you can come in, and you can help them. That's a good thing. Satisfied you should be. To, God would allow you to do that. But that's not really what he's getting at. What he's getting at is when you're in the conflict, when you're the problem, or at least half of it, and you choose to be the peacemaker, then you're satisfied. Your satisfaction comes when, when you can choose to do the right thing. You can choose to de-escalate the problem. You can choose to get the focus of both of you, especially yourself, onto the Lord and what he would do. Blessed are the peacemakers. In Philippians 4, verse 5, it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. In Romans 12, it says, as much as it depends on you, Live at peace with all. Why? Look what peacemakers are called. 
They shall be called the sons of God. The reward of a, a peacemaker is that they are recognized as true, true children of God. Because when you're in the middle of that conflict, if you're in the world, if your eyes just aren't on the Lord, you're like, I'm not giving up. I'm getting what's mine. I got my rights. I've got what I deserve. And I'm not stepping down from this. And you're like, well, we have a pastor. What, what about if that person's sinning? Well, then you make sure that you lovingly bring the truth. You don't bring the truth without love. That's brutality. You, bring the, you don't bring love without the truth. That's hypocrisy, but in balance. But make sure it's not about what you want. It's what God would have. Satisfied, the Bible says, truly satisfied, is the peacemaker, because they'll be called the sons of God. And then he kind of goes through the next two. They tie together a little bit. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake. Right? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. When you're a righteous person and people persecute you, you be satisfied in that. That's God's calling on your life, and that's okay. If you're persecuted for being an idiot... Don't put that on the Lord. Okay? First Peter kind of touches on this a bit. He says, 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. Okay, I hope we don't ever get there, but a thief, an evildoer, or someone who's meddling. If you find yourself meddling in other people's business and you feel people jumping on you just because you're an idiot, he's not talking about peace. That come, the, he's not talking about the, the joy that shall come from it. You shouldn't get any joy out of that. You need to be convicted. You need to get right with the Lord. He's talking about when, you're, when you are persecuted for righteousness and you're seeking to do things in the right sense. I told you about the person I talked to after the service. He's in the middle of a thing and working it out. And he goes, I haven't been showing meekness in this. I'm right. What I believe is right. This is right out of God's word. But I haven't been showing meekness. I haven't sought to be a peacemaker. And I haven't been seeing that this is what God's called me to. And blessed are you, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's something greater that's coming for those who are persecuted. And we haven't experienced hardly any persecution in this country. Some have, and there's more of it coming, especially as we have different families and different groups coming from different places. People get tossed out of their family because they're a follower of Jesus Christ. And you make sure that if you're getting persecuted, you're getting persecuted for being a right person before God. Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. There's a great thing coming. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And so Jesus says a couple things here in verse 10. He says, persecuted for righteousness' sake. In verse 11, he says, persecuted for the sake of, of me, for what I'm going to teach you, what you're going to learn. Jesus has come to be the Savior. He's the one who's come to offer the atonement. He's the one who satisfies the requirement of God. And there will be a price for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And maybe you'll be persecuted by the way you get treated in the workplace. And maybe you'll be persecuted because you won't get uh, an advancement in position because of your commitment to righteousness. Or maybe you'll be persecuted in that sense that you'll lose your job because you'll stand for what is right. Maybe you're going to come off a lot of people's Christmas card lists because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. All I would say, be the most loving, caring person they've ever met 
in their life and satisfied that we would be allowed to be in that position. Satisfied are you, joyful are you, when others revile you and persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. See, this came very quickly on the church after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. It wasn't long after until false charges of cannibalism were being brought to the church because of, of words like um, that happened in the Lord's Supper. This is my body, which is broken for you. Eat it. And people are like, these people are cannibals not true. It's not what they were at all, but it was the false statements that were being brought. They were charged with immorality because they would get together and they would have a feast called the love feast and people would twist it and make it into what it wasn't and false claims were being made against them. They were, caused, they were being challenged with being revolu revolutionary fanatics because they believed that Jesus would return and there would one day be an apocalyptic end and there will be. They were charged with splitting families because people would come to Christ and it would cause tension and struggle. Um, Sue and I talked with a lady who this week trusted Christ and she's already starting to experience some of that and she's learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and yet be faithful in a world they don't understand what's happened to her. They'd be charged with treason, charged with treason because they wouldn't follow after the ways of Rome and they wouldn't bow to the gods of Rome. They'd be charged with treason. So blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. And blessed are you when others revile you and, curse and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, Jesus says, on my account. Because of what I've done. Because you've put your faith and trust in me you be satisfied. And he says this, he says, why? Well, for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. He says, rejoice and be glad, which really means leap for joy. That's what the word means. Leap for joy because your reward will be great in heaven. There's so much more still to come for us as followers of Christ. God helping us get our eyes off of the circumstances of today. And I want everything I want right now because it's all going away. It's just a matter of time. And then we face eternity. And, and we want to be in a place before God where he gets the glory of our view towards eternity. And he goes, don't you worry about these things that are going to happen right now. Eternity's coming. And I've got your eternity taken care of. And then he reminds them, you're not alone in this, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lots of people have gone before Lots of people were faithful. Lots of people were blessed. Lots of people were filled with joy. Lots of people were satisfied who trusted the Lord. Well, so what? So what? We and the world often think happiness is to be rich. And Jesus says the happy ones are those who are poor in spirit understand how unworthy we are and yet take hold of what Christ has done. We say happiness is not to be sad. And Jesus says those who mourn, who mourn their sin will be truly happy. We say the powerful are happy. And Jesus says the meek and the humble and the merciful and the peacemakers, they're the ones who are truly happy. 
We say it's those who are able to indulge in whatever vice they want and get away with it who are happy. And Jesus says it's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and are pure in heart who are happy. We think we're happy when we lead a life where everyone thinks we are wonderful and everyone looks up to us. And Jesus says true happiness is for those who are persecuted and reviled and are insulted and have evil things said about them. For great is our reward. See, Jesus sat down and he taught his disciples and this is just the very first part of an amazing teaching that he walks through. But the foundation part of it is where do we find our joy? Where do we find our satisfaction? And he says you're going to find it in being different from the world. You're going to find it when you are counterculture, when God does the work. And so are you mourning your sin? Are you broken about the way that you are? Are you a person who's learning to be meek? And are you applying that in your life? Are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Are, are you seeking to be a peacemaker in the hard things? What's, what's God put on your heart to do today? Listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ said. And do it, and you will be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you challenge us with it. Thank you for the clarity of what Jesus said. Lord, it, it rubs against everything our world says. But Lord, we know that your way is not the way of the world. Your thoughts are not the way the world thinks. You've called us to be different and to live counter culture in this world for the glory of Jesus Christ. What would the world see us as they, they saw us as being people who, who hated our sin and just want to be a friend with God? What would they see if they saw us as people who are meek, who are hungry and thirsting after righteousness, who are, who are peacemakers, who, who suffered for the sake of Jesus Christ and didn't complain? Lord, I pray that you would do the work that's necessary first in my heart, God, in the heart of our church, that you would be glorified in all these things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.